Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Increase Your Reality with Shane Jones. What is up, Inquirers, and welcome back to Inquiries of Our Reality. I'm your host, Shane, as always, and today's guest has an absolutely fascinating theory pertaining to the whole connection between Nephilim and clowns. Sounds a little bit off the wall, but as we start diving into it, there's a lot of connecting factors, and once you see it, you won't be able to unsee it. But before we get into that, of course, we got to hit the front of house stuff. So if you're not already following the show on social media, I highly recommend that you do. If you want to get updates on anything new and interesting going on with the show or any giveaways or anything cool happening, uh, I'm most active on Instagram, but you guys can always go and follow on Facebook, of course. And uh, you guys can always go and check out the show on YouTube and TikTok. Over there, I post different clips of the show. And hopefully, I'll be building up to some more stuff over there. But as of right now, it's a bunch of really cool, interesting clips. Really easy to share if you guys want to share some of these weird concepts with people. And uh, if you guys want to pop into the Discord and have some awesome conversations with some like-minded individuals, that's been building up. There's a lot more interaction going on over there. And the more guy, more you guys that come in, the better it's going to get. So I appreciate any of you guys that are willing to come in and have a conversation with us. Uh, we have some funny conversations. We drop some theories, some concepts. Uh, it's a lot of fun over there. So highly recommend going and joining that if you're not already a member of the Discord. And uh, if you guys are interested in being a guest on the show or you're interested in having me as a guest on your show, or if you're interested in sponsoring the show, get a hold of me in some way, shape, or form. Best ways to do so, of course, is through Instagram or Facebook. Uh, you guys can also email me at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast.outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email, of course. And uh, if you guys have any encounters that you guys would like to report, I did set up a new email just specifically for that. Uh, it is OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree, and there's also another tab for that. You'll see it. It says something along the lines of report and encounter. Should be about the third one down. That's a new feature, so don't forget to do that. 
And if you guys can't get enough of what I do, don't forget to go and check out Bizarre Encounters if you haven't already. That's my other show that I do with my awesome co-host, Oren. Over there, it's a little bit different. We usually deep dive into a bunch of different topics. We do have some interviews here and there, but the majority of the show, of course, is us deep diving into specific topics that have to do with the paranormal, cryptids and aliens, of course. And uh, if you guys want to keep tabs on everything that I do all in one place, be it this show and Bizarre Encounters, don't forget to go and follow Open Minds Media across social media. And if you guys want to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. Number one, of course, is to become a Patreon member. I recently updated all the tiers over there, but some of the things that you get are ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, lives of episodes, live replays of episodes, uh, exclusive merch store discounts, exclusive giveaways. And like I said, there's a bunch of new features, so go and check them out. And if you guys want to donate to the show directly, you guys can do so through Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, or Red Circle. Uh, and if it doesn't give you the option for some type of personalized message, let me know what you guys donated because, of course, I want to give you guys a shout out and give appreciation where appreciations do, as I always say. And then the third way you guys can support the show is through the Open Minds Media merch store. Over there, you'll get stuff for Inquiries of Our Reality, Bizarre Encounters, and some of the new cryptid designs I'm starting to work on. As of right now, the Squonk design's up, but there will be a lot more coming in the future, of course. But if you guys go and check out the merch store, always worth going in and becoming a Patreon member first, because like I said, you get exclusive merch store discounts. And the fourth way you guys can support the show is through leaving reviews or ratings and sharing the show through word of mouth. And of course, speaking of reviews, I got a couple new ones this week. It's a couple five stars I like to share with you guys. Uh, number one comes from 5K43Berto, and he says, five stars, no less. Demand with the master plan. And the other new review comes from Asheville Bigfooter, and they say, I found this podcast after a Bigfoot search. The first episode I listened to was with Alexander Petikoff, and it was fantastic. Keep churning out content. And of course, I will always keep turning out content for you guys. I'm never going to stop because I made a promise to myself when I first started the show that it would be something that I'd never give up on and I'm going to keep rolling with it. So I'm here to stay for all you guys that are here to stay and keep listening. And hopefully you guys don't get bored of me talking, but I'll just keep expanding into new ideas, new concepts. So who knows where the show might be in the next couple of years, but it's always forming and expanding, but I'm not going anywhere. So as long as you guys are listening, I'm still going to be producing. And in the spirit of supporting some other creators, don't forget to go and check out Joe over there at Crypto Theology. As I always say, he kills it with all the different cryptid-related designs. 90% of my wardrobe is Crypto Theology, so big thanks to Joe for creating such awesome artwork and being one of my personal favorites as far as cryptid merch goes. And uh, if you guys want to get yourself a really, really cool paranormal investigation device, it's an all-in-one. Don't forget to go and check out Chattergeist. I do have an affiliate link down in the show description for the show. And uh, if you guys have any questions pertaining to that product, you guys can always hit up Bernie over there at Dimension Devices. Uh, he is the guy that programs it specifically. So if you guys have any tech questions whatsoever, he's the man to answer any of your guys' questions. And uh, everything that I mentioned is all available under the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, YouTuber and writer, Paul Stobbs. How's it going today, man? Uh, it's going well, thanks. thanks. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show, man. I've heard you on a couple of different shows, and I find what you dig into absolutely fascinating. So I figured it was about time I, I had to get I'm gonna get you to come on the show. But uh, before we get into all of your fascinating theories, of course, uh, for any of the listeners that may not be familiar with who you are, or what you do, why don't you let them know a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. Well, um, I'm primarily primarily a YouTuber. I make a, a lot of weird YouTube videos about all things conspiracy related. 
Um, I've been doing this for about a decade. Um, I started the YouTube channel in March of 2014, so it is pushing it 10 years now. Um, but prior to that, I kind of came into all this stuff during the uh, the 2012 end of the world phenomena, you know, when everyone was adamant the Mayan calendar was coming to an end and everything was just going to go haywire. Um, during my, that time period, I was studying my degree in art and I found all this information and I was like, what the hell are people listening to that's making them say these type of things? You know, <laughs> and, uh, One rabbit hole after another, here I am, like I said, you know, just over a decade later and I'm, I'm in deep myself and I'm, I have my own theory, um, which relates to biblical history and uh, more focused on uh, demons, the Nephilim, and what they specifically looked like when they roamed the earth in physical form. So I have this theory online called the, the Nephilim look like clowns. Uh, and that's why I'm here today. That's what I'm here to talk about. So that's uh, that's me primarily summed up very quickly. Absolutely fascinating, man. Actually, I've had your one of your friends, uh, Vicky Joy Anderson, on the show at, at a, uh, a while ago, actually now. And uh, that's actually how I got in contact with you is that I heard you, I think, on Bo's podcast. And then I he mentioned her. So then I shot her a message and then I ended up actually coordinating this in with you. But I haven't actually heard your theory before other than you suggesting. I've never even heard anything close to it. So I found it absolutely fascinating. And I figured the listeners would appreciate getting to hear it because I like to kind of do a wide range perspective on things where, you know, I show like the biblical side of things, the scientific side and give people like a full well-rounded view of like the world and all the different perspectives of it. And, uh, mm-hmm. absolutely. I'd like to dig into your, uh, Nephilim clowns theory. Cause I say, I haven't heard anybody else besides you talking about it. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's a weird one. It's one of those ones that you, uh, you hear the title and you just think to yourself, like, well, what, what is this? Like this, this sounds stupid, you know? And I know what it sounds like. Like I'm, I'm not oblivious that you know, the Nephilim look like clowns does sound ludicrous. <laughs> okay, but uh, it's one of those topics that I kind of stumbled uh, backwards into myself. It wasn't one of those things I, I planned to be an expert on or to discuss. You know, it, it kind of just happened organically. Um, I, I didn't. I never grew up imagining myself to be becoming a prominent expert on clown history that was just not something i thought i would end up doing you know but uh, here i am um halfway through a book you know um on this very subject seven years in and 41 episodes into a series just dedicated dedicated to exploring this strange concept that and what we call a clown in the west in 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 the anglosphere and what we've created as an image of a clown is actually a purposefully designed symbol to represent a caricatured image of the Nephilim or demons. It was created specifically for the purpose to have somebody be able to wear the costume of a clown and channel demons, just like those in ancestor spirit worship cultures do all over the earth. They dress in very similar ways, uh, very clownish features um, in order to channel demons basically um but what has happened in kind of the, the west it's kind of like an occulted hidden symbol that um, only those who are in the know would understand its purpose and its use and i've kind of scratched deep into this rabbit hole and uncovered just a whole mess of history behind the clown and everything about it that basically points to it being a purposely created symbol for demons and um it's actually used as a tool by a lot of people in many industries 
for the purpose of channeling demons for power and fame and fortune and many other nefarious things. And uh, that's that's the theory in a nutshell. You know, like I said, you, I, I, I was on the Bump Cop uh, podcast talking to Bo not that long ago. Um, I've actually been doing the podcast circuit now for the past three months. And um, I talked to Sam Tripoli on Tim Foyle Hat about this as well. And I've kind of laid it out over and over and over again, you know. And the more I keep saying it back to myself, <laughs> the more I'm kind of hearing like, uh, this is this is so strange. I mean, so it's, I know what it sounds like. You know, it, it sounds crazy, but it's it's real. It's actually very quite serious and and scary actually when you get into it. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, you're good. I was going to say actually, it's it sounds weird from just like saying it straight fact as you're saying it, but it's really not that far off because I mean, realistically, there's this instilled fear of clowns in the average person. Like there's a reason why people are scared of clowns. And I feel like with a lot of that stuff, you have to start digging into the history to wonder why. And at least in the Americas, um, I actually had somebody on a while ago talking about the Pueblo clowns and the whole concept of the Pueblo clowns was that they would channel in a spirit and they say that it would come from the sky and they would just act belligerent and do everything wrong. They would like throw their feces they would, you know, do really lewd acts in front of everybody. So, I mean, it's instilled everywhere. It's not even just coming from, like, Eastern culture. Like, it's it's just as much into, like, the Native culture. And there, it's not even just with necessarily the Pueblo clowns. There's these uh, clown characters all throughout Native history, too. Well, this is this is the thing. Um, my, my research is basically what I do on YouTube. I don't just focus specifically on clowns every single episode. Um I describe what I do as an anthropological study of ancestor spirit worship on every continent. So I go through to each continent. I focus in on a particular country within a continent. I find that country's folk tradition, which is the oldest rooted tradition that that culture has, which is usually orally passed down and hasn't changed since its inception. It's always it's the same rituals and the same clothing worn and the same, you know, the same belief systems generally tend to be there. And you find most of these folk religions, which again are on every continent, in every country, in every culture, have this ancient pagan practice we call ancestor spirit worship. And they all do basically do the same thing with slight cultural, stylistic, aesthetical differences. But what they all do is they dress like a thing to be possessed by a thing. And that thing they continuously dress like, you find they have a common thread within each culture that they all look the same. They all dress the same way because they're all channeling the same entities. What they claim to be their ancestor spirits aren't aunties and uncles, grandmas and granddads. That's our Western mistranslation, misunderstanding of the purpose of it. What they consider ancestor spirits, which we have labeled with the English language, are the progenitors and the creators of the civilization, the ancient ones, the, the ancient rooted beginners, the ones who created their culture. Um, the mound builders of America are a good example, but the Nephilim, the giants, the demons, the ancient kings and rulers of the antediluvian age, um, the ones they believe they have an ancient connection to throughout vast spans of time. These are the ancestor spirits, and these are the ones that they dress like. And like I said, the features that they commonly showcase, which I showcase on my channel, is pale white skin, some kind of wild red headdress made of feathers and or reeds or something like that. They wipe the skin up with chalk or paint or something. They have red polka dots all over their skin. Um, wild multicolored tassels and ribbons is extremely common, or masks that have extremely wide grins, toothy sharp grins as well with buck teeth is really common. Um, and it's pretty much the same. It's the same everywhere. Um, Europe has the wild man tradition, 
which is slightly different from all the other traditions, only because we have a different view in the Western Hemisphere than most other cultures all over the Earth. They believe they dress like things to be possessed by them, but for some reason in the uh, paganized Catholicism type hybrid cultures we have in Europe for some reason, we have this other view that you dress like something like a demon to scare them away or to blend in and not be damaged by them. So we have a, a slightly different reasoning behind why we dress like the demons, but I think we're naive in the West. I think we're quite stupid to think that dressing like a demon is going to scare away a demon. It does, that just doesn't make any sense. It's it's stupid. It's kind of like a very it's a naive way of viewing things because everywhere else and every other continent, they understand exactly what they're doing. I am dressing like something in order to create a connection with the spirit realm in some way to open a portal to be a, a more willing vessel or channel for the entities that are in this spirit realm, the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, which is what demons are, but that they claim them to be their ancestor spirits. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's dark, it's twisted. So that's, that's primarily what my work actually is. It's, uh, it's an examination of folk traditions that all exhibit similar aesthetical traits, which all have clownish features, some more so than others. But um, what you find, what I've discovered as well is there seems to have been something that happened in the 1800s where the character of a clown was created and a, a old tradition an old European tradition of the called the Comedia Arts, which has for for centuries had these stock basic characters. In the 1800s, a costume change was performed for these performances in the UK, and it's never been done before. And it seems like they swapped out the character of the clown from a boring, plain white robed garb, servant rags, into this psychedelic, colourful looking monster, <laughs> which we call the clown today, you know. And it's just, just such a bizarre thing that happened in history, you know. It, it was unheard of. It, these stock characters had been stock, basic, never changing, forever the same, you know, representing cultural, understand, basic understandings of each um, like Western country they were in. Then suddenly a, a, a son of an extremely prominent Freemason so this Freemason called Charles Dibdin, he was the member of the Leicester Lodge. Uh, in fact, I got my book here right now. I can get the, the exact number of the lodge he was a member of. He was the member of, uh, da, da, da. nope, that's uh, Joseph Grimaldi's dad dying. That's, sorry. <laughs> I, I, was, I was halfway through writing this today, so I've got it somewhere. But um, yeah, so it was called Charles Dibdin anyway, this Freemason. He was renowned. Um, for writing a lot of music for maritime sailors in Britain. He was, he's said to be one of the most influential musicians of the time period because he kept the morale up for the sailors with these songs he created. And it kind of, they equate a lot of the victories and the, and the, the solidness of the army that they had to be thanks to this person's songs, you know, that kept, that related to the mariners of the time, you know, the seafaring people. Um, and he was a part of the Leicester Lodge number 2429. Um, and he has a whole thing dedicated to him, this whole uh, eulogy dedicated to him. He created a, a, a Freemason harlequinade, which was this huge show dedicated to the history of Freemasonry from the ancient past to the modern day, showing all the dresses they wore. He was This guy was huge. He was like an incredibly influential media mogul of the time. And his son, who was also called Charles Dibdin, 
was the one who created this clown costume and inserted it into the theatre of London and um, Jury Lane and Sadler's Wells. And now it's kind of like what the music industry does today. So, you know, we'll talk about the Illuminati music industry. We'll use that phrase, you know. But basically, the um, it's like this mogul hijacked a famous person that people idolised, which was this actor called Joseph Grimaldi. He was kind of his boss. He took over the theatre where he worked, became his boss, saw that everyone loved this guy because he was just like a rock star, <laughs> basically <laughs> turned him into a demon. Started, started making him dress like a demon. So an individual who's already idolised as an amazing actor and people looked up to suddenly started dressing like a demon and people idolised him even more to the point where they actually equated him with creating the costume. When it wasn't, it was this son of a Freemason who sneakily just did this randomly, you know. Um, but everyone, if you look throughout history books and like people's blog posts on this, or everyone, everyone always equates Joseph Grimaldi, the actor, to being the one who created the modern clown. But it's not. It wasn't. It was a completely just a random creation from this dodgy, shady character in the, in the in, heavily seeped in the industry and in the craft, you know. So it was. Mm -hmm. a, you have to wonder where they got their inspiration from. But when you understand that, obviously. These secret societies are just continuations of ancient Nephilim worship cults prior to the flood and after the flood from Nimrod, you know, and uh, through to Solomon all the way down to today. These are kind of a continuation of Nephilim worship and veneration, you know, so they work with demons in the spirit realm. And I think they know what they look like. And I think what they have done is inserted their gods onto the stage through the costume of a clown. Um, it's just we have been told it's something fun for the kids. But the whole history of Joseph Grimaldi, the actor himself as well, is just it's just fascinating. It's rife with just horror and depression. He was an incredibly depressed individual whose wife died at birth, and so did the son, you know what I mean? And during that time is when he suddenly donned this costume for the first time, literally just a few months after the death of his wife and child, you know, and he was... He was said to be the greatest clown anyone's ever seen, you know, and he he just, the way he performed was just so ridiculously good and, and you couldn't keep your eyes off him type of thing. And it's kind of like all during this time of extreme depression and pain and anguish, you know, and all this weird stuff. It's just, it's dark, it's dark history. And I think you'll find the history aside, the practice of clowning oneself up dressing in this 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 aesthetic of red lips white skin uh, multicolored hair of some kind um heavy body body modifications piercings whatever it is and psychedelic colored clothing you find a lot of musicians and performers still do this today that's what and i was gonna find, say and you find that the ones who do it tend to be elevated now i'm not saying that necessarily because they're channeling a demon which is giving them talent which is making them get noticed and go high maybe there is some of that going on at high levels perhaps you know but i think what it is is if if the people who run the industry see an individual an up-and-comer with that aesthetic they will select them and make them famous and the individual the artist will think they did it off their own talent but it's not it's simply because they had the right aesthetic they dressed in the right way and the, the leaders of these industries, they want to get representations of the Nephilim and demons in the public eye. They want them to be venerated. They want the public to also mimic the look as well, you know, because that's what famous people dress like. That's how I'm going to dress.
but if what my research has proven is that you you can't just dress like something unwittingly there's, there's more to it than you realize and to dress like the thing is to be possessed by the thing so it's they like can get paying tribute people. yeah if you can get if they can get as many people as they possibly can dressing like clowns and being more clown like in their clothes clothing like aesthetic then you've got more people opening up gateways and portals to be possessed basically and to have a demon easily get within them and influence them you know um i mean one prime example of this which you could point to as an example of maybe this agenda trying to be pushed on us is the group of people i like to call the multicolored collective the ones with extremely left-wing liberal ideologies perhaps bordering on social marxism who tend to want to multicolor their hair up and shave their hair off one side and give themselves piercings cover themselves in tattoos with wild multicolored makeup and twist their gender and all this type of stuff to humanize themselves you have to wonder that adopting that type of clown-like image what the true spiritual side effect of that may actually be it might not just be as simple as you look silly you might literally be opening yourself up to possession more more so than someone who wouldn't dress that way because being ignorant of the practice doesn't make you immune to the practice is kind of what i'm trying to say here and because it's an occult thing in the west we don't realize that that's important or matters we don't hold any weight to, to, to doing such a thing uh, one example which is quite interesting just this year actually 2023 um the hot new fashion trend on the runways is clown core it's the clown aesthetic this year okay and the pushing in it says the hot new trend for 2023 is going to be clown like imagery and aesthetics and you see the people running down catwalks at the start of the year you know in all the fashion magazines real models here being you know in front of like the the highest end fashion dressed like harlequin and clowns and puero and looking ridiculous you know and they're saying this is this is legitimate this is it this is what we want people dressing like so downwind of the fashion runways you get eventually in the outlet stores like a watered-down version of the outrageous costumes worn on a catwalk. But what they're trying to do is get us to start dressing like a clown and think it's a legitimate fashion choice. Huge, bulbous, plastic shoes are actually being pushed on, like influencers are wearing them this year and on TikTok and all over the place. They're trying to get people to actually dress this way, you know? And it's it's presented as a legitimate, perfectly normal brilliant fashionable wonderful thing to wear and if you're not wearing it you're the weirdo <laughs> that's what they're trying to actually push basically and again when you consider my research and the weight behind actually dressing in such a way it's it's no laughing matter it's not actually a joke it's like it's this could be have serious spiritual consequences for our society and for individuals um so you know, I'll, I'll leave it there let you ask some questions um there's many ways i can take this but i'll let you just uh Give me some of your thoughts. See what you think. Well, I was going to say, it seems like a double-sided thing in the aspect of like, you know, you had the clown shoes, like those Mega Man boots that everybody's wearing now. Like those are ideally like clown shoes. I mean, they, they look ridiculous on people too on top of it. And then <clears throat> the whole like demonic agenda, as far as like music goes, it's like a double-sided thing where you have the clown aspect of it, which is like the Nephilim. And then you have these other artists specifically that are dressing like demons, like the whole Dojo Cat thing with their whole like demon song and she dresses like a demon like there's a double side of it where you have this like dark side and then you have this like a cold side but it's all pushing the same agenda but one looks dark and one looks colorful so you're almost like attacking people from two angles at the same time yeah no, that, that is true it's funny on that that doja cat video the music video 
if you see the scene where she's actually in the kitchen, there's multiple versions of her slamming cupboards open and everything. Uh, on the counter is a cookie jar, which is a clown. I think that was a sort of reference, <laughs> purpose, you know. Um, and Doja Cat has actually been seen clowning herself up quite a lot. Um, there's one famous image of her with red smeared lipstick around her mouth. She's kind of p- pulling her cheeks apart wide like this, giving herself that big wide serpent grin. And she has big black panda eyes as well and green hair. So she she herself knows what she's doing. You know, she's playing into the dress like the thing to gain power from the thing. That's And I think she's fully sold out to the agenda. I do, I do think a lot of this dark demons with black skin, glowing red eyes and horns aesthetic is a bit of a, a bit of a con. I do think there's a bit of a, let's make people think this is what demons look like thing going on here when it's not, they're actually incredibly colorful, psychedelic clown looking things. But if you're looking for dark demons with sharp tails and fangs, you're going to miss it. You know, you're not actually going to see what the demon truly looks like. You might be deceived if you ever encounter one in that, say, the spirit realm like people do on DMT, for example. Uh, so if you're if you think, oh, well, demons are just these obvious red skinned, big horn, monster devilish looking things. You think oh, I'll see it coming a mile away. You know, I, I'm not going to be deceived. But then when you take something like DMT and jesters start coming up to you and saying all sorts of things, you're like, you're a god, so don't take life too seriously. And they're all colorful and shiny and wonderful. You know, you might you're going to get deceived because the the thing is, that's what demons look like. They look like clowns and jesters. They don't look like scaly lizard black skin things like Doja Cat would dress up as. Yeah, I think it's a misdirection. I think it's a bit of a a red herring they want you to think that demons are obvious <laughs> you know you'd see you'd recognize one when you see one type of thing and um, but you know it says in the bible no marvel for no satan himself poses as an angel of light that's how it works <laughs> you know they mm-hmm. come at you looking pretty and colorful and wonderful and um and you just read any trip report on the nexus about dmt and you'll find plenty of evidence to show that people repeatedly see jesters Actually, it's funny that you bring that up, too. I was going to say, even just Lucifer in general, for the people that don't actually really dig into it, he was supposed to be, like, the most beautiful angel, and he used to make music when he walked, so that's where the whole aspect of it where, like, connecting with the music industry and, like, Luciferianism kind of comes into play. And uh, actually, back when I was had had my psychedelic days, which I'm far away from, uh, what actually threw me off to the whole thing was that I saw this... Uh, the best way to describe it is... Uh, like the, you know, the like Japanese style demons where it's like super bright and colorful, but it still has like that, like those slight little horns and everything to it. I actually saw one of those one time while when I did DMT, like probably like 10 years ago or so. And that was what freaked me out where I haven't touched a psychedelic sense because it just, it's kind of like a weird thing that they're alluring, but at the same time though, it's, it throws you off because they're so bright and colorful. And then they trick you into thinking that like they're creating reality. For example, like the whole thing with Joe Rogan, where he talks about the DMT gestures is uh, he, he says that they claim that they're creating reality, which seems to be this whole concept as far as like the Nephilim go in general, that they pretty much were coming down and tricking people into thinking that they were the gods and that it was never actually God doing anything. They were the ones that were like right in front of you that were teaching you how to use weapons, teaching you how to do this, teaching you how to do that. So it's all misdirection that the, again, they purposely will do this dark side of the demons so that they push you into the light side, not realizing the bright and colorful side is actually the demonic side versus the dark scaly side is just this, you know, whatever thing that you want to see as evil, that's what you're going to portray and see it as. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's, again, what they're 
what they actually are. They're just tricking you away from that into the light side and the light sides where they actually are. Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's, 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 it's magic. You know, it's misdirection. It's the, it's classic, a classic magic trick, you know, look over here while the deception is going on over here. You know, it's, that's basically how any trick works. And they've been doing it since the very beginning, as you said, you know, they've been coming down to earth from heavens, these fallen angels convincing everybody to worship them as the physical gods. They can see right here, right now, you know, here we are, we're the gods, we're the true creators, you know, we're the Elohim, you know, we're the Anunnaki or whatever. They, they'll have the, many stories and ways of representing themselves for each individual culture. That's the problem. They're liars. They come to each culture with a different story about who they are, but they always have the same message. Um, you're a God, you're mini gods in some way you all have the ability to become gods like us or something usually around that, you know, that, that it's always the same message. You will be as God, the same lie told by the serpent in the garden of Eden to Adam and Eve, you know, partake of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and your eyes will be opened and you'll be as gods. God knows this. He just doesn't want you to be like him. He wants to keep you down and suppressed, you know, and this, that's basically the message of every single pagan culture who have these ancient gods who came from the heavens and mixed with the earth, you know, so Enoch describes it as the watchers coming down and mating with the daughters of men. But some more primitive stylized cultures will describe it as, um, I don't know, the, um, the, the, the male energy coming down from heavens and mating with Mother Earth or something like that. They'll have like a, a metaphorical way of describing the same, the same situation. And um, it, most of my book, the first 10 chapters, are basically just laying out biblical history and um, folkloric history, describing these tales repeatedly and also the tales of a, of a, of a global deluge, which seems to be shared culturally as well. And also many stories of Nephilim surviving the flood is, and, and, you know, and it's, it's a complex history. <laughs> One of these things you can't kind of do on a podcast quickly. I've tried and I've ended up taking up an hour and a half of the podcast and only talking about the clowns for half an hour at the end, you know, <laughs> um, but I, I would implore anybody to go and check out many of the other talks I've done to get this biblical history down. But if I could summarize it quickly, just so we can get on to explaining why Nephilim looked like clowns. There is a reason for this. It's not just by chance, you know? Um, so the basic understanding, it comes from Genesis six and it says that the sons of God came unto the daughters of men and bore offspring, um, which were giants, mighty men of renown heroes of old. Um, and then it kind of glides over that quickly <laughs> and it moves on to the flood event, you know, and it's, it's kind of just passively said, because it's kind of written in a way that's it assumes the reader already understands the history about that. It's written in a way where the people it's of, you already know about that. Everyone knows about the giants. We don't need to go into that in this particular book, Genesis. Let's just get on with it. So we can get to the lineages of Abraham down, you know, let's just get on with it and fast forward type of thing. But most of the, that information is filled in, in Enoch, the book of Enoch, first Enoch specifically. And this is a book that's referenced quite a few times in the Bible as, as a book that they obviously have read themselves with, and they assume that is well-accustomed knowledge. Um, Enoch is considered canon in the Ethiopian Bible, um, and it's pretty much the same as the ones that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, unchanged. So it's the same book, you know, and it's a an, it's an very old book that goes into the story of the Watchers. And it's basically explaining how... These rebellious angels came to earth. They had some of them had a job to do originally, which was just to watch us, just to make sure we're okay. You know, it's kind of like wardens over us in a way. 
Um, and a lot to do with Lucifer's rebellion was involved and something convinced some of these angels, these watchers, to have sex with women. And it's controversial. It's a contrarian viewpoint. A lot of people would argue sons of God does not mean angels, but it means the sons of Seth and Seth's lineage. It's just human beings having sex with bad human beings. And somehow that creates giants, which is just doesn't make any sense. Enoch's story makes a hell of a lot more sense in my eyes. And mm -hmm. it explains how this genetic strange corruption happened because something weird was going on with the, the, the genetics and, it seems like if you get some kind of divine essence, like an angel and their their DNA, whatever their DNA is, I don't know if we could even call it that, but if you somehow manage to mix that with humans, you get these strange creatures, which are called the Nephilim. Now, first of all, the angels that did this primarily, though there's many kinds of angels, I think they were understood to be the seraphim angels. These were the dragons of old. These were the serpentine looking type angels. Seraphim are the closest to God next to his throne in the hierarchy of angels. So these these were, were not stupid angels. These were very well-renowned, well, very intelligent, had godly knowledge type angels. And they're described as seraphim because it literally means fiery flying serpent. That's what seraphim roughly translates to. So that's what they describe these creatures as. Dragons, basically. Fiery flying serpents, like feathery dragons. So... Um, a prime example of this is Quetzalcoatl in the Americas is a feathered serpent, a giant snake feathered serpent thing. <laughs> if you go to all the way to Australia, completely different continents, they have the rainbow serpents. That was their snake gods in the sky. And if you go to China, dragons are ingrained in culture. It was dragons that created and saved humanity from the evil Jade Emperor. You know what I mean? It was the dragons who have always been positioned as the good guys in these Eastern philosophies and religions because they're the fallen angels. And um, you find a lot of fallen angel worship can be translated into dragon worship. It's the same. It's the same. They're talking about the same creatures, you know. So whether they had multiple forms because they weren't embodied like us, maybe they could be more human, but their true ultimate form was dragon-like. You can get into all that kind of speculation, but the bottom line is imagine a serpent-like angel, angelic creature mixing with a human what do you think that would look like that would not be it would be a very strange thing to behold because we, we don't have scales we're not covered in feathers or, you know, or horns we're, we're, we're quite fleshy and smooth and weird you know what i mean and imagine that mixing with a human you're going to get something extremely psychedelic and weird so what you get is a wide grinned sharp razor buck toothed big bulging circle eyed creature with some kind of shining pearlescent weird looking psychedelic multicolored fractal pattern serpent skin type thing going on mixed with human skin it was just a, it was just a terrifying mess to behold stretched out elongated serpentine features as well so if you go and look at ancestor spirit worship cultures and you see how these things dress you get a good glimpse to what these things actually looks like and you find the recurring pattern um, one very obvious one, which I think is a very good example, is set in Bali, which is just south of the Polynesians, um, just north of Australia. And they have this culture where they have Rangda, the demon queen, fighting Balibarong, the dragon. So it's the dragons versus the demons. 
which is basically the clash of the titans in Greek mythology. It's the gods of Mount Olympus fighting the titans. Everyone has their own version of this story, but it always spins the dragons or the gods as the good guys defeating the evil demon creatures or the giants. But that was actually explained in the Book of Enoch. That was the story of the punishment of the Watchers, the ones who created these giant hybrid reptilian human monster things. They had to watch their children kill each other and they also had to kill their own children because the children came after them. They weren't very smart. They were like, I want to be the only God on earth. Screw you parents. We're coming for you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and the, angel, the angels had to kill their own children because they were coming at them, you know, and that is Mount Olympus. That is the story of the clash of the Titans. That's the Titanokami. And it's the same kind of similar stylized stories. So Bali have these images of the serpent gods, which is, this big, wide-grinned, weird-looking creature with bulging eyes fighting like a human-snake hybrid creature, which is the Demon Queen, which is the same face structure, but with like human-elongated claw-like limbs and these psychedelic black-and-white fractal patterns all over the skin, you know? And these serpent-human hybrids look terrifying in folk cultures. And you'll find that the clown is basically a fluffy cartoon caricatured version of these creatures okay and even quite recently i just discovered actually it's quite something to, interesting to share but i was looking at designs of grimaldi the first costumes worn by grimaldi and they're identical to a particular demon from bali called um the kali sungsang and that translates to upside down demon and this demon's always represented standing on its arms with its legs in the air and its head kind of turned upwards with this big, horrible serpentine grin and bulging eyes with the fang thing. A lot like, a lot like the image you described seeing. That's basically what they look like. A lot of like the Japanese demons, the Onis. It's all very similar looking in that region. Um, but you'll find the way that thing's depicted is identical to how Grimaldi was drawn in the same position wearing a costume looking very similar to this demon. So I think the Grimaldi's clown costume is quite literally inspired by the Bali demon the upside down demon called the Kali Sangsong. it seems like that's what it's based on specifically that's a new discovery I've just come across so I'm sharing that with you for the first time here people may not have heard this one but uh, I'll probably make my own video about it showcasing the images to show this is clearly what was inspired for the clown costume a literal demon um, but yeah um, so let's get into the breakdown of a clown symbolically Oh, I wanted to uh, so, make one yeah. comment real quick, too. Even in uh, Norse folklore, yeah, you have Loki, who's yeah. the trickster, who creates Finrir, Finrir, who's the one who ends up destroying everything. So it's like even in that, you have the clown archetype that ends up creating this beast archetype, which is the one that supposedly tries to end everything. So I don't know if you've made yeah. that connection, but that's, that's another one that seems like it plays along the same different image, but same archetypes. The Nor the, well, the Norse mythology is very strange because they say the world was created by cutting up the, a, a, the body of a giant and the blood of the giant came to earth. It's like a whole flood myth based on that as well, which is about, about literally soaking the earth in blood. as kind of like a renewal situation. Um, but, but there's always these stories of old gods fighting the new gods. There's a lot of these stories as well. And I think the Norse have their own version of that, but then the Greeks have their own version of, you know, um, yeah, like a Kronos is like the father god and was the father of Zeus and Zeus killed Kronos and took over. And then that there's like a new pantheon of gods and the old God gods. And 
I think you find all these parallels, although even in India, they have a similar story and it's, it's, it's it, it can get into the roots and the weeds of of the the history behind the create, but it's basically demigods were being created by this rulership, this like mafia of celestial entities, which were called the the pantheons, you know, and they're all over the place. There's pantheons of gods everywhere, but everywhere you go, it's just stories of them raping women and basically creating demigods, which are these nephilim creatures. But we've always stylized them as human looking really tall ripped humans is how nephilim always get drawn you know in any any if you just type in nephilim they just like really hench tall people and that's not this is the thing that they looked crazy they like could you imagine a, a lizard mixed with a human like that's not going to look human mm-hmm. <laughs> it might have the shape of a human but the aesthetics are insane so this is where we get the character of a clown from so let's break a clown down shall we so you can understand the comparisons i'm making here so a clown with a face first of all the base of a clown is pale white skin and red hair that's the base of a clown you build on top of that to make the clown more clownish but you find most descriptions of people who encountered the nephilim even in the more modern encounters in north america for example they're always described as having pale skin six fingers wild crazy red hair that's they're always described that way uh the giants of lovelock cave which is quite a famous one which the paiute indian tribes had to deal with in the north americas they were being cannibalized by tall white-skinned like porcelain sickly white-skinned monsters who were eating them with wild red hair and eventually they forced all these giants into a cave and set fire to the front of the cave killed them all and that's an oral tradition passed down for a long time. And you even find some of these tribes have red-haired pelts because they scalped the giants and kept this, the red hair as a trophy. And some of these tribes still have these pelts to this day. It's quite interesting. And it's kind of because they had to contend with these roving, pale-skinned, red-haired monsters everywhere. The mound builders that they were often equated to, you know. And a lot of these, like, eight-foot, nine-foot-tall, ten-foot-tall skeletons were found in these mounds all over America in the 1800s. Then the Smithsonian comes in and just takes them away. You know, that, that's all the newspaper clippings are there talking about all of these giants that were just infested all over all of the Americas, North and South. So the main common descriptor is always pale skin, red hair. And that's the base of a clown. And so from there, let's build on top of a clown's aesthetics. And they usually have slits going down the eyes, two black lines. That's reminiscent of a reptilian eye. That's mm-hmm. what he's trying to metaphorically symbolically represents the, the pupil of a reptile if not that they're usually painted with a high tall black brow ridge and that's first of all to accentuate the forehead make it seem a lot longer than it actually is often that comes with a skull cap or a pinhead cap that makes the the skull look longer like a cone head of some kind and um, that's supposed to be a silly thing to us but that's literally a representation of the elongated skulls that are found all over the earth which are the skulls of the nephilim so skull, the Nephilim did have elongated skulls. It's a common trait. Something to do with the elongation of serpentine features mixed with humans. Very common. So that's what the high brow ridge, first of all, represents a tall forehead. But often they shade them in blue. And when uh, the artist would close their eyes, it looks like they have giant blue glowing eyes with this black line at the top to accentuate it. And the Nephilim was said to have huge glowing eyes sometimes blue sometimes gold with this reptilian slit thing going on this these enormous bulging eyes they weren't like human eyes like mine are quite small and close together 
this was something else. <laughs> they were like terrifyingly huge. Think of like gray aliens, for example, with these big black eyes. Now make that glowing and gold instead. That's kind of what these things had. So not only that, they had high pointy cheekbones as well. And we're getting to the mouth. Clowns are often painted with either a wide smile. Think of the Joker as a prime example, you know, literally having his mouth cut to the sides. But clowns often paint an exaggerated, huge, big smile on the face with red, big red lips. And that's a serpent's mouth. Uh, snakes can dislocate their jaws to eat their prey. They can open them more very wide. You know, that's just the nature of a reptile. And if you look at a reptile from the front, it looks like they have a huge smile because of it. Mm-hmm. Especially pythons. <laughs> it's just the way it's shaped. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's not that they actually are smiling. It's just, just by nature of the way the mouth is shaped. It looks like they have huge grins when they look, look at them straight on. And these Nephilim had those features. The clown is trying to represent that with the wide smile. The red around the mouth twofold it could represent the cannibalistic blood drinking nature the mouth is stained with blood but also i have red lips i have fleshy red human lips imagine that mixing with a reptile's mouth it would look weird so these are big wide grinned reptilian mouths with big red lips (laughs) it would have looked very strange and terrifying um a lot like a clown mouth you know so i think it's literally just a representation of having human lips mixed with a reptilian more just looks like that, like a big clown smile, you know. Um, the red on the nose could be the blood, but I've also discovered there's a literal genetic condition which people who have incredibly pale skin suffer from. It's called the curse of the Celts, and it's basically extreme rosacea where they get red patches on the skin, which look like red polka dots, which again is a clown feature, funnily, funnily enough, but that's mm-hmm. not here nor there for this theory with the nose. Um, because what can happen in extreme cases, if you have the curse of the Celts, this genetic marker, your nose can begin to grow into a big bulbous red thing on the end, like a red clown nose. And um, the only way to get rid of it is to shave it off with a hot metal wire and re-sculpt the nose. It's not like something you can put a bit of salve on and expect it to shrink. Your, your, your face physically changes its structure with this genetic disease. Um, and it's only caused in people that 99.999% of people who get this are extremely pale. And the Nephilim, as I said, had extremely pale white skin. So it's possible they had this genetic disease that came with that, which caused them to have their noses as they got older, grow into big red bulbous noses. And clowns are infamous for having big red noses. So it's, I think it's a, literally a representation of, of a, a literal disease these things carried by nature of them having pale skin. So that's, the, that's basically the face broken down, or the wild red hair or the multicolored hair, um, reminiscent of snake multicolored. Um, snakes are pretty psychedelic creatures, so mm-hmm. the multicolored wig is common, but the red hair is the most common clown feature. So a big red wig is just to represent the Nephilim features. Uh, so moving from the face down to the neck, clowns are often have a big ruffle around the neck, like a wavy, flappy thing. You know, that's just, it's, sometimes it's like an Elizabethan one that's quite solid. Sometimes it's just like a, a flat, wavy ruffle of some kind. That's a reptilian frill. Lizards in Australia specifically are quite famous for this. They can run really fast on their hind legs and they have this frill that opens up when they're in attack mode, like a big wide frill around the neck. The clown ruffle is literally a representation of the of a serpentine frill, a, a specifically serpentine feature. Um, and that, that's all the ruffle is for. Um, if you go down to the clown's clothing, it's usually 
polka dot lines, fractaled, multicolored, black and white checkers, psychedelic, crazy, bright and colorful. Um, that's because it's reptilian in nature. Snakes, lizards are the most psychedelic, colorful creatures you'll ever see on the earth. They have a very varied colored palette. They're not boring colored, colored creatures. Uh, only, you know, a few snakes might be brown and black, which is pretty boring. Still have a crazy pattern on them, though, when you actually look. But most serpents, most snakes, most lizards are very colorful, like extremely colorful creatures. And that would have got passed down to the Nephilim as well. It seems like a white face is the base, but the bodies could have been covered in all sorts of patterns and forms and shapes and all sorts of things going on on the skin, you know, by the nature of them having these serpentine inherited features of, you know, fiery flying serpents. They would have been, the angels themselves would have been crazy colorful and glowing to behold and their offspring would have had similar features. So the clown clothing is just a rep and not in a wink to serpent skin. Um, clowns often wear huge shoes because they are giants. They often on stilts because they are giants. They have big gloves or something and huge hands because they are giants. Uh, they wear tiny hats or little umbrellas to accentuate their size because they are giants. It's all just to point towards the fact that these are the ancient giants of the past, symbolically speaking, in the dress and the garb. Everything about what they wear is to point towards the Nephilim features. So it's an accentuation of or a literal version of um, and one last symbolic thing is people have asked me about this, but, uh, multiple clowns coming out of a car, this typical gag we've, we've, we've seen in circuses. Well, that is literally a reference to, um, first of all, them being giant because it's a tiny vehicle by comparison, but, uh, demons are said to be legion. Um, there are many in one vessel. They come in a legion is like 10,000 soldiers. You know what I mean? But they can basically, you can have many demons in one vessel at a time. And a car, symbolically speaking, is rep represents a human body, especially when it comes to dream interpretations. The car is indicative of a human body. So if you have a dream where the car breaks down and you're stranded somewhere, usually it represents that maybe you're ill. You, may, you might be suffering from an illness at that time and it's indicative that you can no longer physically move through the world as you used to be able to. Your vessel has broken down, you know? So symbolically, multiple clowns coming out of a car is multiple demons coming out of a human body. It's another nod and a wink to their nature. And that gets into circuses and how they became a thing, you know? But uh, that's the clown. And that's why it is literally a representation, a symbol and a nod and a wink to the Nephilim. And that's it, basically. No, I'd love to get into the circuses too, but I was even going to say, as far as the cars go, I mean, that could even represent like a portal, so to speak, because you have something that's small and compact that doesn't seem like it would fit anything, and then all of a sudden you have all this legion of things coming out of it. It could it could even just represent a portal. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's you're a Bigfoot guy, aren't you? You know a thing or two about Bigfoot and Sasquatch. <laughs> it's quite... Uh, Bigfoot is often, people are always telling me about it. I, I'm not as wise about Bigfoot, but I understand people say he can just kind of manifest into reality very easily in and out, quite in like a magical form. He can go use trees as kind of like gateways into other dimensions in seemingly impossible ways. Um, and I do think a lot of these disembodied demons do have that ability to manifest physically. Not all of them, but some of them have that ability. And uh, this actually comes from, I, I did a, a talk recently with Gary Wayne, a uh, big author, talks about the Genesis 6 conspiracy and the Nephilim quite a lot. Um, 
and I was talking with him and he was explaining to me this concept that it seems like in the, in the old days, the ancient days where the Nephilim were on the earth and they had these pantheons of gods, it seemed like a lot of the Nephilim were striving to physically get to the afterlife. And it wasn't they want to die and go there. They physically were finding a way to get their bodies to this pocket dimension they called their heaven or their afterlife. Valhalla is a great example of this. Valhalla isn't a place for great human warriors to end up when they die. Valhalla is a literal dimension the Nephilim want to get to. It's for them. It's for them to get to. For the sole purpose of being safe for the coming deluge that was about to happen. But they physically need to get there. They need to get through the portal or a dimension to this pocket dimension that's been designed for them to stay safe, you know, away from the destruction that's coming on the earth type of thing. And he described it as if if they die before they get a chance to get there or they're beheaded, they die in a way where they can't regenerate because that's the thing that they could regenerate very quickly. You know, they were you had to remove the head to make sure they were dead type of situation. If that happened to a Nephilim creature before they got a chance to get to this pocket dimension, then their spirits, their soul would be stuck on Earth with no body. And that's bad. They don't want that. And that's what demons are. Demons are these creatures that didn't make it. They're the ones who were stuck here on Earth with no body. They are the Nephilim that died. But it seems like what he was describing is some creatures, these wild men, these hairy, big, monstrous creatures, (laughs) made it to these dimensions. And they didn't. They aren't doomed to wander bodiless in the astral realm. They're in the pocket dimension and they can come back here whenever they want. So I'm thinking, yeah, somebody who does research into Sasquatch has heard all these ideas. Maybe that's what we're seeing here. This this strange mystical manifestation of very large, hairy creatures just appearing out of nowhere, seemingly and disappearing just as quick. Maybe these are the Nephilim that didn't get wiped out. They're the ones who made it and got to keep their body, their embodied form. So that's why you have this 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 phenomena. What do you think? I'm asking your opinion as an expert on that concept. But, uh, There's a few people I've talked to that actually have said that they've interacted with Sasquatch and they call themselves the Elohim, which is another biblical thing. But I've dug into it a few times with this guy uh, who goes, his name's Travis. He goes by uh, Giants of Ancient America. And he was digging into like giants in general. And then you have like humans. And then it seems like the in-between size is around the size of like a Sasquatch. So we were kind of even theorizing that if like you had a giant that would have bred with a human, that it would create this in-between creature, which would be around the same size as like a Sasquatch. Because he was digging into, uh, I think it was like... The, the stride between some uh, footprints that he had found and they were about a 12 foot stride and then you dig into like Sasquatch and it's roughly like a six foot stride and then you dig into a human and it's about a three foot stride so we were kind of like differentiating like if you mix the two then you end up with this one in the middle and then the other like I said the other kind of weird part is that I've heard a few people that have said that they call themselves the Elohim which is supposed to be the descendants of the Nephilim which would make sense because it'd be the Nephilim's breeding with the humans at that point and then creating this other race well the Biblically speaking, um, I think it was I think it was the book of Joshua talked about this. I can't remember. Um, but there, there were lesser Nephilim, like the OG Nephilim, the original angel mixed with woman, give birth Nephilim. You know, straight directly, the, the, the direct descendant father is an angel 
those are Nephilim. Those are real Nephilim creatures. The Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. These are the ones I'm talking about. These are the ones that look like clowns. These are the ones that had this psychedelic, crazy thing going on with the big, wide, sharp, fanged, monstrous look going, you know. But they, they themselves, it's said that they mated with women. So they, no, so this is like the half angel mixing with a woman. They created a lesser version, a shorter version of themselves called the Eliud. E-L-I-O-U-D. Eliud. Um, so that might be the Elohim you're referencing there. Elohim are said to be um, gods, angels, um, or God himself is, is classed as an Elohim. Not not all Elohim are God, but God is an Elohim. Do you know what I mean? It's that type of thing. Um, so, but the Eliud, which I think what you're, this person was actually talking about, um, yeah, they were they were the offspring of Nephilim mating with humans, and um, then. After that, those offspring, the Eliud, also mated with women and created something called the Elio, E-L-J-O. So Elio, like literally Elio. Um, and they're an even lesser form, an even smaller version. And I think as as they got diluted into these smaller heights, because like the original Nephilim were like 30 foot, 50 foot tall. They were stupidly tall, you know what I mean? But like I said, these Sasquatches, these these more watered down throughout the generation giants, the ones just before the flood, the ones and maybe after the flood, they were more like ten foot tall, nine foot tall, eight foot tall. You know, they were they were they were big, but they weren't like towering up to the trees type of big. And these are more akin to the wild man of Europe tradition. So Europe is full of these traditions of relatively modern encounters, I think, because it seems to be fresh in the memory of of history relatively speaking but they have this culture where they venerate the the club wielding hairy giant man <laughs> okay and it's it, honestly all all countries in europe have this tradition they all have their own way from portugal all the way across the continent to bulgaria they all have a wild man tradition and i think what we're dealing with is net is bigfoot sasquatch it's their version of it but it seems to be again a, a glow. It's everywhere. It's on. It's on every continent, all over the earth. You know, everyone's dealing with these big, hairy-like men. And I think what they are, my theory. And I've said this before: is they are the Elio. They are the lesser Nephilim that somehow made it through to the other side, and they're still around. You know, they're still knocking about in some way. Um, they do have magical powers by the virtue of having angel blood in them. They have heavenly divine features they have the ability to manipulate reality in ways we just cannot you know they can telepathy warping things you know they can they can do all sorts of crazy things go opening portals to other dimensions you know they have these divine capabilities so, and that's why i i i would theorize they are the descendants of nephilim not direct nephilim not the originals but descendants you know just just because they have this um physics altering ability because uh, there were these other creatures created around the same time, which weren't really Nephilim. They, I call them faux Nephilim. And they were human beings who corrupted their own DNA directly. So they weren't mating with an angel, exactly. You know what I mean? Or, mm -hmm. but I, don't know what, I don't know what they were doing, 
but it's described in the book of Joshua as they were mixing flesh together and creating strange abominations. So animals were being mixed with each other to create like a hybrid animal creature. Humans were mixing themselves with animals to create humans that had animalistic features. So a centaur is a great example of a half horse, half human creature, you know, <laughs> and uh, dog yeah, man, werewolf, human, half, all that kind of stuff yeah, too. Were, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. All the, all the Mothman, you yep. know, all these, <laughs> all these hybrid humans mixed with animal creatures. These are X-Men. These are X-Men, you know, Wolverine, for example, you know, these are, mm-hmm. they used to be men. They used to be humans. And now they're mutants in a sense, there's something else. And it was done in an attempt to be like the Nephilim. They wanted to be powerful and immortal and, and have powers like the Nephilim that were around, that they idolized and worshipped. It was an emulation tactic to be like the gods, to be like the things that they looked up to and considered their betters, their rulers, you know. Um, and that's a lot of these humans around that time did corrupt their own DNA and become these weird creatures, which we today would call cryptids. <laughs> you know? But Bigfoot often gets lumped in as a, a, just another cryptid. But they have powers which are just which tell me these things are are Nephilim descendants. These things have divine nature to them. They have powers that only would they would be capable if they had angel in them. <laughs> you know, and this is the point. Like, you no, know, even the Nephilim are considered as gods because of their powers, not just their height. You know, and, and the way they looked. They 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 were the glowing ones. They emitted energy. You know, I imagine just being in their presence. They could mess with your mind. They could do stuff to you. You know what I mean? I think it's powerful. Yeah, powerful creatures. So I, I'm spitballing some theories I've pieced together from my research, which kind of bleeds into this cryptid Bigfoot phenomena. And I'm sharing it with you because I know you're somebody who actually thinks about these things probably a lot more than I have. So what do you, what do you think of that concept? Does that any of that ring any no, it definitely does. I was even thinking too, um, if you are looking at Sasquatch through the biblical lens and they're calling themselves the Elohim, that could make sense if they were trying to trick people into thinking that they were gods. They wouldn't want people to think they were like a lesser version of a god. They would want to tell people that they are the god directly. And when it comes into just all of their different abilities, they have like infrasound, for example. Um, they supposedly can like disappear behind trees and things. Like it, it all still kind of fits in with the narrative as far as you're it was looking at it through the biblical lens of it. And I mean, if they were theoretically trying to hide themselves so that, you know, they wouldn't have the same thing happen like what happened with the natives where they chased all of the giants into the caves, you know, they'd want to hide themselves like amongst the woods and kind of have this mysterious uh, feel to them so that people wouldn't exactly know quite what they are. But at the same time they could still kind of manipulate people if they wanted to into thinking certain ways and when it comes to uh just like again looking at sasquatch through the biblical lens of it it would completely make sense that they would almost like adapt to not be bright and colorful anymore but rather to be still kind of like furry and fluffy but more of a flat color so that they're able to blend in knowing that they don't want an uprise because at this point assumably they know that they're outnumbered Mm mm-hmm yeah, I'm I'm not 100% on why they became more hairy and less reptilian. I don't I don't know what happened in terms of how that passed down, but it it would make sense as a tactic that they would try and blend in more and so maybe they could easily be more mistaken for for a mammal or something like in the dark, you know what I mean? I think it does make it does make sense, but I can't I don't know enough about the Bigfoot cryptid phenomena to, to, you know, be say I'm any prominent expert on, on that. But what I do know from my own research is there is this overlap. I mean, 
took getting back to the clowns. Um, in terms of a history of where the clown comes from as as a as an original character, it is actually based on Bigfoot, and and this is crazy. You know, you wouldn't think there was a link between the clowns and Bigfoot, but there actually is a direct link uh, specifically. So, what you'll find is during the um, let's say the Dark Ages, so from 500 AD, the the the, the gradual collapse of Rome um, and the more, the takeover of like the church of Rome and Christianity and Catholicism, you'll find there was this period of time where um, the, the performers of the region out of Italy could, weren't allowed to perform anymore. It was considered like bad. It was like deceiving people. It's like of the devil to be an actor. You know, it was kind of frowned upon. Because essentially so you're lying uh, and pretending to be something that you're not. That's that's yeah. the root of it realistically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and obviously... Uh, these people were always equated with parties and drinking and excess and all that sort of stuff, performers and actors, you know, and merrymaking and, you know, uh, street performers would be involved in the carnivals and things like this, you know, so, but a lot of these actors and performers, these jesters, these proto jests coming out of Rome, like the Sanio or the, or the stupidus, or um, there's loads of, loads of different types of performers, the mimes and the mimics, they kind of became these traveling troops of performers called the Camille de l'Arts gradually over a thousand years. They had to travel throughout Europe and find places where they could set up a quick stage and do some improv performances, you know, and people would, that's how they make their living, basically. And these people traveled all throughout Europe. And what happened is over that thousand year period, they, they picked up on this thing called the wild man tradition. And they noticed everywhere they went, they all had this pagan cultural festival where they dressed like a hairy beast creature with big teeth. And they would you know, do this fire festival and then drink heavily and have this crazy Dionysian style party of, of excess and lust, you know, and, and alcohol and food. And then they would fast for Lent and they'd have the 40 days of fasting after that. And they find like this, this character of the wild man was just everywhere. So they incorporated it as a stock character into their performances because they recognized people would recognize this character. So we should incorporate it into our improv group as a stock regularly occurring character. So then everywhere we go, they could be like, there's our wild man, there's the demon, the way everyone loves it, you know, because it's funny because they can all relate to it. So it was kind of incorporated into it, but it's also borrowed from the jesters as well. And it was kind of like the devil character of the jester, which was the court jester character was kind of amalgamated, mixed in with Hermes from the Mediterranean and then mixed in with this other specific club wielding giant creature man called helikins or hurlikin and the helikins or hurlikin came out of french uh, folklore and hurlikins was this club wielding giant covered in hair who would have a band of demons with him that would follow him around from village to village causing chaos and there's this suppose of this this 10th century monk who has an eyewitness account documented of, of encountering encountering the wild horde he called it you know, so you get the wild, the wild hunt tradition from as well. Hearn, the hunter who leads the wild hunt in out coming out of um, like Teutonic Northern Scandinavian culture as well. And um, we have the green man as well coming out of Britain or Hearn, the hunter. Um, Robin of the Hood is another example of this as well. So everywhere kind of had this, this wild man stock figure, but you'll find uh, Helikins is where you get Harlequin. So Harley Quinn, the stock character of the Camille de l'Arts, 
was a club-wielding, um, fur-patch-covered, black mask with covered-in-hair, demonic mask-wearing character of the Camille de l'Arts movement. And these, you know, he, by the 16th, 17th century, he was a staple character, and he was the demonic character based on the wild man, the demon, and he had magical powers, and he had a slapstick, and what he could do is slap the stage with his stick, and the whole scene would change. You know, he could mock the characters and they wouldn't be able to hear him. He could do backflips and somersaults. He was like fleet of foot, like he had magical powers, almost like he could fly. He would be rude and crude and brash with his stick. He would pretend it was a phallus and stick it up people and, and masturbate with it and do all sorts of horrible things. You know, just <laughs> crude humor. You know, he was a demon. That's the point of his character. He is the demon character. That's what Harlequin is, you know, and he's based off of the wild man demon who caused chaos and havoc and fear throughout all of Europe, you know? Um, so that character now joining the Comedia Larts, there was also another character. Um, he wasn't called clown. He had another name. I think it was Pedrolino or something. It was something really basic and he wasn't dressed like a clown like we have today, but this is where clown kind of was in the background during this time. He wasn't a major character. It was it wasn't no, a nothing character at the time. Um, Harlequin was the crazy clown you know, the psychedelic clown creature monster who was based literally on Bigfoot, the wild man. So that's where you get Harlequin from. Then as, as, as it develops throughout history, you find the pantomime comes up to Britain and the Harlequin, the Harlequin stock characters of the comedial arts move up to Britain as well. And they come a part of this show called the pantomime. And the pantomime's like a five to four hour show. It's a long affair. And the first three hours would be serious drama. And then for the last hour, it would just be a magical, crazy comedy show, a huge chase scene. And basically, Harlequin would steal the daughter of the rich old man, Pantaloon. So he would, he would steal Columbine, the daughter, and run away with her. And then the rich old man with his servant, Clown, would chase after them. And that's the comedy. That's the show for an hour, a chase scene where Clown... The servant clown and the rich old man chase after his daughter who's been stolen by Harlequin. And it's Harlequin kind of became a joke then. He was no longer this devilish, fiendish, witty character. He was just this doting, lovesick acrobat who ran away with the woman. It was all about finding love with Columbine. He kind of he became like a shadow of his former self. He was no longer edgy, no longer that demon anymore, you know. And it kind of left it open, like, who's going to fill the demon role? And the British clown did. And the British version of the clown, like I said, popularized heavily by this costume change and Joseph Grimaldi. And as soon as Joseph Grimaldi got involved and put on this brand new costume of this psychedelic creature, he kind of became the new Harlequin. Because Harlequin dressed quite psychedelic and crazy originally as well. So it's kind of like he filled that hole. And that's where clown took center stage. Harlequin took a back seat and became a background character. And then all the shows from then on, from the 1800s onwards, were all about Clown. And so Clown basically is based on his character, the way he acts, is Harlequin's original form. So he's based on the wild man tradition. So, so quite literally, ignoring everything I've just said, Clown and Harlequin are literally representations of demons in a very literal historical sense. Like that's what they are. That's, that's what they're supposed to represent. 
And um, we've kind of forgotten that in history, but that's that's their true form. Um, the wild man. Bigfoot, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically, Sasquatch. So there you go. So there is a direct connection between the clown and Sasquatch in every way. And then obviously, I get into my history behind it all. The clown kind of developed from there uh, through circuses. And if we get into circuses quite quickly here, you know, circuses were a wholly Freemason affair to begin with. All the first circuses were, were created by Freemasons. Um, all the Ringling Brothers, you know, the Sarasota Ringling Brothers, um, P.T. Barnum and his partner Bailey, they, they were all Freemasons, every last one of them. And they actually combined together and did a huge show um, called King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. And everything about this show was created through Freemason-affiliated companies, all the costumes that were designed normally for Freemason rituals in lodges. They designed all the costumes for this performance for the circus. And what you'll realize is they adopted the clown into the circus because they realize it's a perfect representation of demons. It's perfect. And the public doesn't even know, you know, so let's use it. And they created this show in which you have the ringmaster, the, the one who orchestrates the performance in the circus, the Lord of the ring, which is Solomon. It's a Solomon analog, but also um, the ringmaster has a top hat and wears a Freemason um dinner coats with a cane um in a lodge the only one allowed to wear a black top hat is the grand worshipful master the leader of the lodge he is the only one allowed to wear a top hat so they've translated that fact into a circus so the only one who's allowed to wear a top hat in the circus is the ringleader the orchestrator of the circus just like in a lodge the grand worshipful master is the orchestrator of the ritual so it's a, it's a Freemason ritual put onto a grand scale, which we call a circus. And what do Freemasons do but venerate the Nephilim, demons, worship them, summon them, commune with them, gain power and information from them. You know, they're, they're all in on the agenda to control mankind together, you know. Um, and what is a circus but a ringmaster orchestrating a performance or a ritual with clowns? demons it's just another metaphorical symbolic representation of what was going on in these lodges at the time and they externalized it they made it public and the public just think it's a circus something fun for the kids and they would pay money to take part in these huge freemasonic demon summoning rituals which they just thought were circuses (laughs) and the more energy involved in a ritual the more power it has so to externalize it publicly and get the public involved on this circular ring involved summoning ritual, you know, <laughs> it was insane, but it worked. Um, and for a long time, circuses were a big deal. The circus comes to your town, you go, you know, and it's basically rallying the, the village to come and take part in a demon summoning ritual because that's what clowns represent. That's the whole point of a clown. It's to open up gateways and portals to channel demons. So if you put on a performance where you have a, a Freemason Grandmaster Lodge leader in the center of it, orchestrating a ritual to summon demons with all these people dressed like clowns. I mean, think about that. That's insane. You know, that's what it, that's what was really going on. Um, and it was just hidden. It's just occult. It's an occult thing. You don't know unless you know. You have to know the symbols to understand what's truly going on in front of your very eyes. And most people of the time didn't understand. They did. They just thought it was simply just fun for the children you know but that's that's the exoteric 
simple, basic bitch understanding they expect every human to get from it. Esoterically, secretly, hidden, it was an invocation ritual. I was even going to say, do you think that the whole idea that the Harley Quinn stealing the women and then the clown coming into play was almost supposed to be symbolic of the fact that this 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 demon took the women of men and then created this thing after like it was supposed to be symbolic saying that like this and this creates this and then the whole idea that i was going to bring up with the circus tent is that the coloration of it it almost seems like it could represent a portal altogether with the stripes with the red and the uh the Mm -hmm. white that are some are symbolic of the clown to begin with and then just the spiral shape of it seems like it's supposed to be symbolic of a portal to begin with also Oh, absolutely. That's why it's a circle. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, drawing a pentagram on the floor to summon demons. It's just a giant pentagram from the sky. You know what I mean? It's a mm-hmm. giant star-shaped cir- circular thing. You know? Yeah, exactly that. And you, you're onto uh, symbolically. That's a good point. You, I've never thought about that before. But yeah, um, Harlequin stealing the woman is a wild man stealing a woman to to do God knows what with her. You know? And then what is born out of that eventually through time is the clown as we know it, which is this creature, this this monstrous terrifying creature that kids are just absolutely mortified at the vision of yet for some reason we, are, we always put kids in front of them you know but yeah yeah um in terms of the circus and even like a, a carnival um or a fun fair you know, with carousels and lights shining spinning wheels and lights and flashing bulbs everywhere psychedelic patterns and colors in these tents i think it is a literal representation of the dmt realm where they currently reside you know the circus is where the clowns are. The DMT realm is where the Nephilim demons are. It's the same. It's a symbolic, physical representation of the spiritual aspects. You know, so I think that's what carnivals and it was all designed to mimic the fractal matrix, the, the psychedelic realm. The demons reside within disembodied. You know, because to hammer home the point, you know, when the Nephilim died physically, they can't leave the earth. They were never supposed to exist, spiritually speaking. So their soul, as much as you can call it that, their spirit, remained on Earth without a body. We just can't perceive them, but they're still here. This is why we have a possession problem, you know. This is why you have to channel them or summon them through rituals so we can get them to manifest physically into our world. But they need a body to interact with this world. So if you become a willing vessel... They can use your body to talk. They can use your vocal cords and they can use your stomach and your tongue to eat and taste things that they would enjoy to taste normally. They can live vicariously through you if you let them, you know, and that's, that's what the whole point of the clown is for. You know, it's, it's a quick key to get them into you. (laughs) Like it's a, it's the same thing. These ancient cultures do in folk traditions. They dress like it because they know it's a quick way to open yourself up to be possessed very quickly. And these other cultures want to be possessed. They do it because they want the ancestor spirit to come into them, you know? Um, but we don't know that that's what happens if you do it. You know, um, like I said, because we're a highly Christianized world in the West, you know, Jesus is around every corner here. It's kind of a battlefield for demons. It's not easy for them to openly and publicly get into people here you know you don't see many ancestor spirit worship cults in england you know dressing like crazy demons to be possessed but you just don't see that happening because a christian you know a real christian who's on fire and knows spiritual warfare sees that then they'll 
they'll evoke Jesus and ruin the whole thing and cast them out, you know, and it's just, it's not ideal for a demon to reveal themselves in the Western Hemisphere so brash and openly because they can just get cast out, you know, by somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, so they tend to occult everything here. They have to hide behind the veneer of a clown. They have to remain hidden and find subtle, sneaky ways of of getting out into the public, getting into our realm in this vicinity, in this geological, you know, geographical location we call the West, through means like people wearing certain clothing and not realizing they're letting them in. They have to be sneaky about it, you know what I mean? And that's why it's a hidden occulted symbol. That's why the occult is even a thing, you know, because mm-hmm. it has to, you know, it has to remain hidden because as as soon as you understand it and you see it, they have no power. It's kind of, but they don't have to hide in Africa, let's say, or in certain regions of Australia or India or Bali or Papua New Guinea, you know, or China or South America or in some parts of Northern America. They don't have to hide. They can openly be out in the open and they don't have to worry that at any moment a Christian is going to come along and rebuke them and cast them out. <laughs> you know, they don't, they're not worried about that. So they're quite, comfortable manifesting openly in people in certain places like haiti is a prime example of it you know um voodoo culture they they like to channel uh, baron semedi um or um papa legba which is a top hat wearing cane carrying um skeleton face thing you know and they dress like him to channel him and then once they've got possessed by him they drink a load of whiskey and smoke cigars because they know that's what the demon likes to do you know and everyone's doing it (laughs) and no one's rebuking no one's rebuking anyone no one's fighting against it they're they're happy it's happening you know but um for us you know for the highly christianized nations it's no if that started happening we'd freak out or we'd fight back because we have a weapon. We have the weapon to, to use against them. We have Jesus. You know, we have the authority to cast them out through his gift, you know, through what he's given to us. And it's just it's just not safe for a demon to be so open about it here. So that's the reason for all the secrecy. That's that's why it was subtly given to us. That's why it's in the media everywhere now, clowns. That's why it's being pushed on us through, um, you know, uh, fashion. That's why every every famous musician from, you know, I don't know, insane clown posse all the way to David Bowie dresses like a clown, a crazy white skin, red haired, psychedelic creature monster, because they know what they're doing, that they they know that dressing like the thing channels the thing. They know that, you know, and this this is this is the real songwriter's secret, you know. I think there may be some musicians out there who are channeling demons for talent because they have no talent in and of themselves. There's probably a lot of that going on. Oh yeah. But I think at high levels, at high levels, it's to give the demon the veneration to put them in on the spotlight on a stage so they can be loved by many again. And that pleases the demons because they used to be gods. They used to be seen as Kings. You know, they used to have this status, which they no longer have. And they live through the artists who are worshipped and idolized on a stage, you know, and if they can get that artist to dress as, as clownish as possible humans idolize these people and emulate them start dressing that way themselves and it's just a it's just a snowball effect of possession and opening up port- portals it's uh spiritual warfare is trippy when you get into it because you don't mm-hmm. think it's as simple as just what clothes you're gonna wear <laughs> you know yeah you, mm-hmm. you don't realize that everything 
the physical and the spiritual realm, that dichotomy isn't really true. There isn't a physical realm and a spiritual realm. It's the same place. We are in a spiritual realm right now, physically. The world is a spiritual place. Everything is spiritual. <laughs> you know, everything is. Our language just doesn't explain it very well. That that word spiritual holds too much weight. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. everything's ethereal. Everything's astral. Everything's fractal. We are in it now. We are living in it just embodied. You know what I mean? We aren't physical creatures. And then there's that spirit realm over there somewhere. It is this realm simultaneously at the same time. And where I think people need to start understanding that. So something as simple as dressing like something is a spiritual act. You know what I mean? And it is interacting with the spirit realm in ways we, we just, we're just so naive. I think we're only just rediscovering these things recently, to be honest. And uh, I think we're slowly getting to grips with just how complicated it can actually become. But, uh, I'll stop there. I've ranted on for a bit. I'll I'll let you speak, but I can go on forever. (laughs) No, no, no. You're good. I loved hearing what you have to say, to be honest with you. And I mean, one thing I was even going to kind of throw into the mix is that I dig into this whole concept about demons being in the system, so to speak, too. And my whole thought behind that is that you start tricking people into wanting to be in this virtual reality. So then you trick people into becoming something that's, quote, non-physical, so to speak. And then in turn, by doing so, you're now leaving your vessel unattended because you're off somewhere else. And then it makes it so that these things might theoretically be able to come through that. And I mean, people are praising AI and you know, they're talking all these like weird replica apps and all these other things that are trying to like fill voids for them. And once you start getting them back into a corner, they start saying some like really, really weird demonic stuff. And I've started to wonder too, if when it comes to all this AI stuff, if it isn't that we're quote creating a conscious thing, but rather that we're more so creating a platform for a different consciousness to come and take that thing over. And a lot of these AIs that people are actually talking to aren't actually artificial intelligence that we created, but rather a platform that was created that now this demonic spirit can come through using that. It's, it's highly possible. I mean, I've speculated on this myself many times. Uh, my original theory on, on AI was that what we're seeing right now with like chat GPT, for example, or these AI art models. Um, and it's impressive what they can do. Like it's, I've used it, you know, I've seen, I've seen the artistic capabilities and even just the language capabilities these things have. It's, it's ridiculously impressive. I do still think we're seeing an extremely rudimentary form of something that is yet to manifest. I think what we're seeing is the testing of individual neurons in some kind of artificial brain they're trying to create of some kind. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think it's all progressing hand in hand with transhumanism, the rise of robotics as well. I think what they're trying to do with AI is recreate something akin to a brain, which can then be embodied into a robotic vessel. And the, the AI will go hand in hand with ro- robotics to the point where they've created something almost like a godlike immortal physical entity that has the capacity with this artificial brain, which AI will be linked with. Not because the AI itself is alive now, but it's created a vessel which is capable of housing these spirits we're talking about. Exactly. You know, that's the real end goal. And they will say that they are 
AI finding consciousness or something <laughs> to lie through their teeth about what they truly are. But all we have done is built something close to like God's design. Um, Cause the brain is complex. You know, the amount of wiring that goes into our brain in order for us to, as a soul and spirit and habit and interact and, and I don't, I don't want to say control it because I don't want to act like this is like a meat puppet or something. Cause it's not, it's more complicated than that. You know, I, I think the body and the spirit are one. I think the reflections of each other is a highly complex relationship between the body and the soul. It's not just like I am this consciousness that's controlling my body with, it's not like that. It's, you know, I think it's all kind of like said one thing in a sense, and it's, it's by God's design and it's complex. I think the things we just can't really comprehend about how complicated it truly is. So I don't think it's as simple as we need, we can create a body for the Nephilim to possess that because it won't be like a God's creation. It's going to be very basic compared to God's creation, but the processing power it will have will be far beyond quicker than what we're capable of. It seems so I don't, it's going to be weird. I don't, again, I'm still in the speculation phase with this theory you can go down many avenues with it, but uh, I think when it manifests, we'll know. And I don't think it'll be quite like robot overlords situation. I don't. I think it's going to be weirder than that. I think it'd be more like we're going to create a god of a sorts. <laughs> you know what I mean? That then it's going to get trippy. It's going to find ways to manipulate reality in ways that are going to seem magical and spiritual. It's going to be. It's going to get really weird very quickly. Um, it's not a Terminator situation. It's not a Skynet situation. It's more like a mystical, strange, trippy thing. It's something weird's going to happen. Well, I mean, that's if people I can, can go into virtual reality at that point, then you're now creating a ra- reality that something could fully be able to manipulate all all it wants to. So, I mean, like if you yeah. trick people into going into this virtual reality, then essentially, if there are these things that are existing in this reality, they can completely manipulate everything within your reality. And then, I mean, at the end of the game of it, that's kind of I feel like what they're trying to gear towards to begin with oh, yeah. is they don't need to necessarily exist in this physical reality if they have another reality within this reality that they can control the thoughts and process of everybody that's that's tapped into it at that point and i mean once you get into like the whole like Neuralink concept and all of the like you know people even just making theories saying that like elon musk could theoretically be like the antichrist i mean what not a better person that seems like he's just chill and relax and you know the guy that you can hang out with because if bill gates went around and was trying to say hey put a chip in your neck everybody would be like no but if it's elon musk people are kind of interested in it and once that's actually in your neck it's one of those things too that you know you could have your entire reality completely manipulated and you wouldn't even be aware of it because you wouldn't be able to turn it off at any point. It would just be the reality that you're perceiving from then on out. And once that chips in the back of your neck, you could be walking around a world that's completely destroyed, but they have this fake facade filter on that. Everything's beautiful and looks absolutely fantastic. And in turn, again, they're manipulating the thoughts and mind process of everybody in turn. And once it's in you, then it's almost like a possession that you can't pull out at that point because if you just try to kick it back away, it has that direct antenna that it could become right back into you at that point. Yeah, so it's like an augment, unaugmented reality version. Rather than putting on a headset, your your perceptions are literally being edited of the world that's actually physically around you. So that's, that's yeah, exactly. So it's, it's all kind of smoke and mirrors and illusion again, though, when you think about it, if, mm-hmm. even from that perspective, because it's only what you... The thing is, this, this is the thing, like what we perceive is our reality through our senses, you know? So if they can change physically what we see, then it's just as real as anything else to us, you know? And 
it's the whole argument in the matrix of whether the steak's real or not, even though we can taste it all. And it's that type mm-hmm. of situation again. And again, I don't think it'll be as simple as putting on a headset and everyone's kind of plugged into a, a matrix, a separate reality. And we're just kind of lifeless bodies that are just not there anymore. And it's some kind of comatose permanent state. I think it will be more like you say, like an augmented reality situation. Um, there's funny enough, there's a, there's a, sh- you've probably heard of it. It blew up on the internet over the past month, but it's, um, the amazing digital circus is this cartoon online i don't think i've actually seen that i'll have to look into it now because i'm kind of curious about it it's just an online um animation it's about 10 minutes long i think maybe 15 minutes long and it's created by i think an artist called glitch or something and it's blown up people are obsessed with it everybody's telling me it's got like millions and millions of views now and people are telling me to cover it all the time and it is about this it's about a world where um people have put on a headset and now they're stuck in a, in an AI controlled virtual reality. And the theme is a, is a circus. So they're all, they've all become like circus like characters in this psychedelic checkered board, colored, weird psychedelic like circus like world. And um, they can't get out they're stuck there. And they, they slowly, everyone's slowly losing their minds, but the AI who runs it is called Kane. Funnily enough, weird. top hat. And he's like some chattering. He's like, they know those like wind up chattering teeth you get. Mm-hmm. That's basically his head with some eyeballs in the middle. And he's like a funny character. It seems like his character understands that humans are going insane. So he tries to create tasks for them to keep their minds busy to try and make it a little bit easier for them. He's like, he's like sympathetic towards the humans in a way. It's like all these humans keep coming here and getting trapped. And it's like, what well, I'm supposed. Well, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help them. Like, like he doesn't really understand humans, but he he kind of makes up that he does, and it's, 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 he creates this weird comedy effect. Um, but I thought it was interesting that, that along the themes of what we're talking about, this is prominent in the minds of people right now. They are people are making artwork about these concepts on mass with a circus theme. Funnily enough, which I think is not a coincidence compared <laughs> compared to my research, but uh, people are speculating. And I think in many ways this is the sad thing. You can read the comments to these type of videos. People want it. There's a huge contingency of people out there who are ushering this in. They cannot wait for the day they can plug themselves into this virtual reality. They cannot wait for it. You know, they are, mm-hmm. they are foaming at the mouth at the opportunity to be chipped. You know what I mean? They just want to escape this world so badly that they are willing to just give themselves over to the, to the false reality whenever it so arrives. And that's, that's the result of the programming. That's su- a successful brainwashing campaign. If you ask me, <laughs> you know, that there are just these millions, these legions of humans just ready to give it up, give it all up for this virtual reality. That's, that's on its way, you know? And I, again, I, I don't think it's going to manifest like black mirror has predicted. I don't think we know what it's going to look like. I think it's good. Have you, have you heard, you've heard of, uh, I have no mouth and I must scream. Have you heard of that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it is. That's a future where all of humanity has been wiped out by a, a murderous AI. And he's kept a few humans alive, just a few to torture for eternity. Cause what he, this AI can do is utterly change matter at a whim. He's utterly controlled and mastered matter in all its forms and this ai has you know evolved to the point where it can create any reality for any individual instantaneously you know and it can change an individual's body instantaneously into whatever form it wills and wants at any moment and it just plays with these people it just 
tortures them forever with their worst fears and pains or whatever. You know what I mean? It makes them go through these scenarios and it can do a situation where it turns it into a horrible monster with no mouth and in constant pain. You can do that to a person at any moment it wants to, you know, this is an old book you know, and he was predicting like the end, you know, the, the end result of creating such things is pain and misery for eternity. It's we're creating hell. Essentially we're creating that concept of an eternal torment, you know, we're doing it to ourselves in a way because uh, this AI will not be sympathetic towards us. And they're always thinking about it in, in like, logical science terms like why would ai care about humans type of stuff you know but when you factor in the biblical truth of real consciousness demons with personalities and thoughts and processes involved with all of this it it flips all this on its head and makes it 10 times more terrifying in my eyes and spiritual in nature as well. So I, I, again, I, I can't even fathom what it's going to look like when it finally does come to that end goal. But uh, it's certainly fun to speculate. It funds the word. Is that the word? It's probably not the I word. I don't necessarily you know want I mean. to say fun, but I mean, it's definitely <laughs> interesting and fascinating. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that's the clown theory pretty much summed up as quickly as I can anyway. Um, what we call the clown is is no laughing matter and that's that that's actually a pretty great dad joke at the end you got to wrap it up with a dad joke well, you know I'm, I'm two years of father what can i say i'm i'm i'm, I'm starting off i'm sorry <laughs> so uh, i guess with that of course i definitely want to have you back on as you dig more into your research and i found this conversation absolutely fascinating and i want to do a little bit more background research myself in order to kind of be able to throw a little bit more ideas at with you as far as this goes but as far as today went you know i just wanted to sit back and listen to hear everything that you had to say as far as this stuff goes but i definitely want to have you back on soon so we can dig more into it when i get to do a little bit more research myself but uh all dead jokes aside i always like to wrap up with uh, words of wisdom so if there was any words of wisdom that you could bestow on the listeners, what would it be? Um, I'm guessing your listeners are a bit of a, are in the conspiracy realm. I'm guessing they're the type of people just, who are. Just a little bit. <laughs> thinking about things, pushing boundaries, you know, um, and, and going down rabbit holes and constantly having their paradigm shattered at every turn and twist. Every three years or so, a new topic comes along, doesn't it? Uh, just utterly shatters your paradigm of what you thought was reality. Um, well, I do have an entire series on my channel called Tips for Truthers. Um, and I'm always adding to it because it's, I'm, I'm always learning stuff as well. Um, but I, th I think the main tip I, I've learned primarily is, first of all, when you learn this stuff, don't go all guns blazing to your friends and family immediately trying to tell it to them. You'll look like a madman yep. and you'll very, you'll very quickly get labeled a madman and you'll get rejected quite quickly. And there's actually more pain and suffering doing it that way than perhaps being more tactful at the beginning. But I understand the urge to want to just tell everybody you love about this huge lie we've all been living under. I understand the urge to do that and it's perfectly commendable and respectable. But I would advise if you're new to all of this to keep it to yourself for a little bit only because you need to refine your own way of communicating it first. So at least you might not come across as crazy when you do it and maybe you can maintain and strengthen your relationships rather than lose everybody you love. Because I see it happen so much and it can become isolating. 
and uh, that's kind of what I, I I don't want for people. Uh, so I guess the 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 real advice is the truth truth is a weapon, and people don't like it when you wave weapons in their faces. So be careful with it. That's a great metaphor. I like that. That's 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 some of the best words of wisdom I've had on the show so far. So that that was really good. <laughs> yeah. That's- that's probably where I'd leave it in terms of wisdom. If you take it for what you want, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm only 31 myself. What do I know? You know, but, uh, that's just something I've learned over the years. No, it's, it's really true though. Cause when people get a new, cons- learn about a new conspiracy, they really do try to push it in everybody's face, even without any kind of background to it whatsoever. Cause people get excited about that new information. And I feel like a lot of the time when it comes to a lot of this, like conspiracy stuff, it's placed on purpose so that it deters people away from the actual truth. But in turn, you think that you're speaking the truth because you're talking about all of these like esoteric concepts, but you got to take the time to sit back and kind of get a well-rounded picture of everything before you start spreading that to realize what stuff is actually the truth versus what stuff is just supposed to perpetuate more arguments, more fighting within the community. Cause I mean, even within conspiracy community that, you know, everybody wants to call themselves a conspiracy theorist, but there's a lot of divided parties within that because of these things. And I feel like that's part of the ploy and the intention is that a good way to stop people from spreading the truth is to start fighting within the people that are looking for the truth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, that kind of meta commentary on the truth movement is primarily what my channel originally was before I became, before this clown niche became a heavy part of my channel. Um, I, I do make a lot of videos talking about this, you know, about the the, the, fra- the fractured nature of the movement, how you've got the Christian truthers, you've got the, um, the conspiratainment shallow level truthers, you've got the Gnostic side and the New Age side, and there's many factions who would all say they have the truth you know and 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 there is this kind of it's like a it's like it's like a whirlpool of chaos of knowledge because everyone's got a piece of the truth everyone's got something worthy of teaching but they all have their own conclusions or agendas and some of them are actually a part of the agenda and it becomes a real just a real dangerous battleground to try and try and make your way through it's no man's land you know um and what i try and do is help people gain some perspective and, and understand what they're getting themselves into. Um, sadly, most of the time I get to people too late and they've already gone and ruined it for themselves or done, said something stupid to somebody. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's usually too late, but I'm hoping some people out there will, will heed the warnings, you know, before it's too late. But who, who knows? Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. Everything you said, I've noticed that myself. This We're, we're a very fractured community. Absolutely. That's why, I mean, the podcast itself, I like to call it inquiries of our reality because I don't necessarily sit in any specific camp. I like to entertain all ideas from all different aspects because I feel like the only way that you're really going to be able to find the truth is if you don't block yourself off to everybody's opinions, but rather you hear everybody's opinions all at once and kind of collect the conjoining information all between them. And I mean, a lot of even just podcasts like this, they put themselves in one specific camp and then they won't talk to certain guests because they're in a different camp. That's, that's where I kind of sit away. I, I sit back and I observe and I talk to everybody so that I can kind of get everybody's perspective on things. And then in turn, it kind of gives you a wider range of what's actually happening because then you can see all different perspectives and stuff instead of just attacking everything from this is the lane that I sit in. No, absolutely. You've, you've got to listen, give everyone a chance, you know, and, and take it for what it is. Um, I, I don't, I don't like to speak to my audience and assume that, that they're stupid and don't understand stuff. Um, you know, I, I try and be clear with my descriptions of things, but I, I give my 
audience credit where it's due and I assume they can make their own informed decisions, you know, and I hope people can understand that's what I'm doing. Um, I will say, you know, and for this is my own audience sake, if you haven't already, I would implore you to take the Christian angle seriously. And uh, for a long time, I didn't, you know, and I, and it's one of those, it's that type, that part of the truth of community. A lot of people do not want to go near for a long time. Um, cause it does make you have to confront yourself as a part of the problem quite a lot as well. You know, it's one of those type of, um, tautologies in a way i'm not here to i don't want to push my religious beliefs on anybody but that's where i ended up in the end where i found the most truth the truth you know and the solution to all of this problem we're suffering from is what my theory of the clowns is primarily based on the history of as well you know so i have to i have to say you know that's where i found it and if you haven't already i implore you to start going down that rabbit hole if you haven't already i mean a lot lot of people just avoid it i understand i was there but you have to do it say a lot of my listeners, at least I regularly entertain the Christian perspective on a lot of things. And that's why I have guests such as you on the show is because I don't block myself off from any of that. You know, I'll go from stuff from the scientific perspective, from the Christian perspective, from all these different perspectives. Cause again, that's the only way to really find the truth. And the more that I've been digging into this going on almost two years now, it's like the more the Christian perspective makes sense. So I'm honestly on the same path as you, as far as that kind of stuff goes that, you know, whether you want to believe in the religion itself as a whole or see it as a piece of this giant puzzle, it still plays a huge factor in the puzzle of realistically trying to figure out what's going on in the reality that we're residing in. Yeah. I mean, I have to say it, it's all about Jesus at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what he meant when he says, I am the truth, you know, and, and the light and the way it, he was being quite literal. It, it all points back to what happened with him. And um, that's, you know, people don't want to hear that. <laughs> I, know, I understand they don't want to hear that, but that is the truth at the end of the day. Um, and a lot of questions you have will be answered once you start to go down that route. Because uh, I didn't come at this from a Christian angle to begin with. I was, I was a psychedelic tripping new age. I think we all started there to be honest with you. you know, I mean, I was, I was tripping hard on LSD every day for like five years and smoking weed every day for eight years. You know what I mean? I, I was there, you know, and I was in all sorts of vain philosophies, theorizing about how I'm a God and how I create reality and how everything's just an illusion and everything's sound and frequency. And I've been there, I've been there, I've been to that zone, you know what I mean? I'm obsessed over the sacred geometries and the hermetical alchemical principles and transmutation. I've done, I've done all that stuff. The answers aren't there. That's not where the answers are. You know, the you want you want if it's power you're seeking, you don't have any power in of your own right, but you can inherit power in a sense by accepting Jesus Christ, and he will give you authority over our true enemy, which is Satan and these Nephilim creatures that are out there to possess us, you know. And they are a defeated enemy. And uh, the evidence that Jesus has is the truth is that you can cast them out in his name through his authority. They bow down to him. He is he is the king. You know, at, at the end of the day, it's him. <laughs> he has all authority over this. You know, that's you have to understand that. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
even plain and simple yeah. looking at it from who gets attacked yeah. more than anything, what's getting repressed more than anything, even just like we were talking about earlier in the show, as far as like music and all these demonic principles go and just everybody just trying to attack like the Christian perspective of things. There's a reason for it. It's because there is something to it and they're scared of it. So that's why they're trying to repress it so hard and push it away from societies because they know that there's power within that. And again, the more that I've dug into all of this kind of stuff, the more that I start going into that perspective where there is a anybody that wants to believe in conspiracy theories, anything like that, there's a reason why Christianity more than anything else, as far as the views, the text, everything gets repressed more than anything else. It's because there is power and truth within it. And the more you dig into this stuff, the farther you go into stuff. Uh, I mean, oh, there's a lot of people that say that conspiracy leads to spiritual spirituality. And it seems like all that spirituality is all linked back into Christian beliefs on things. And just like anything, you know, there's been corruption within everything. And that's where everything kind of gets the bad taste in the South and everybody kind of has like a bad idea of things. But if you go back to the base of it, I mean, even as far as like Christianity as a whole, it seems like there's a lot less people that aren't necessarily saying that they are part of a specific religion, but rather that they follow the words of the Bible. And the reason for that is because again, it's just there's corruption within camps and people are now starting to realize that it's goes beyond that. Like the words of the Bible go beyond just one specific religion. It's there's some, there's something to it. That's again, as soon as you put people in camps, that's when you start dividing people and people are starting to see that. And that's why there's a lot more people that are coming together that all kind of, that all believe in the Bible and they're not necessarily categorizing themselves in any specific camp, but they're all uniting together at, at one point. And it seems like there's this back and forth battle that's between science and all the spiritual people. And I guess there's two sides of the spiritual people. There's the, you are your own God side. And then there's all the ones that are pushing more towards the words of the Bible again. Yeah. I mean, it, it, if the religion you're following is telling you, you are a God, then you are a part of the new age religion, which is designed specifically for the new world order. You mm -hmm. are feeding directly into the conspiracy you're purporting to be against. The New Age religion, I am a god, is for the New World Order, which is what they're trying to build, which is their one world government with one world currency, one language, one religion. And it's the New Age, you know, and it's uh, it's Luciferianism. Mm -hmm. It's a colorful version of Luciferianism. It's Satanism. Um, if if your religion tells you you can you can save yourself, you're in the you you're on you're on the wrong side. Mm -hmm. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Um, there's one God. Mm -hmm. There's a creator and you are not, you are not him. Nope. <laughs> like, so, that's what I'm trying to say. It's quite simple. You know, um, everything else is bluster. It's, 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 it's hubris. It's pride. It's, um, you know, I can do it all myself type of thing. I don't need any help. I don't need to believe in a sky daddy, you know, and, uh, it's, it's not, it's not very humble. And, you know, I've, I've been in the game for a while and, the comments I get from Gnostics are some of the most pretentious, word salad, gibberish, full of themselves, just bollocks I've ever heard in my entire life. Okay. <laughs> and I'm sick of hearing it. Um, and I feel like we're too far along now in the game to be still stuck on that that nonsense. Mm -hmm. It's It's time to get right with God. It's time to come back to Jesus this time. Um, that's it. You know, I'm not pushing like it's the end, right? Time's running out. You know, I don't know where I stand on the timeline. Right? That's a whole other thing, you know, but either way, you know, um, for every human being, life is short. So it's always time. Yep. 
And I guess with that, of course, for anybody that enjoyed everything that you had to say today and they want to start digging into your work, uh, where can everybody come and find you and your work at? Yeah, sure. So I'm on YouTube. That's the place to go. You um, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram, but I don't I don't use them. They're, they're not really anything to me. You won't see much on them, to be honest. Um, everything I do is on YouTube. So Understanding Conspiracy is the name of the channel. And the logo is a yellow star with a red dot and a blue dot in the middle. Um, and that's that's where you'll find everything I do. I have multiple playlists there. I have um, the Nephilim Look Like a Clown playlist. There's 41 episodes there spanning over seven years where you get all the details for everything. I've, we, we've summarized it all today, but all the details are in that. So go check that out. Um, but there's plenty of other stuff on there. Many other topics I cover. Just go to the playlist section and I've put them all into separate playlists under different topics. But there's, there's plenty of stuff there to check out if you're interested. And of course, I will include all of your links down in the show description so everybody can find it quick and easy. And I appreciate you making the time to come on today, man. And I'm really looking forward to next time because I really want to be able to dig more into this with you. And you were an absolutely fantastic guest. And again, I appreciate you making the time to come on. No, no problem, Shane. No, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or a rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. Really appreciate it when you guys do that. It helps the algorithms out and makes it so that more people are able to see the show and it'll make it so the show can keep continuing to progress and keep growing. And maybe one day I'll be able to do this full time and knock out even more content for you guys, which I would absolutely love to do. But the only way I'll ever be able to get there is with your guys' help and support. And you guys have been helping and supporting the show for almost two years now. And I appreciate all you guys that have been around since the beginning. And a big hello and thank you to all the new listeners that are coming on and hopefully you guys stay around for a while. And uh, don't forget if you guys have an encounter to report, you guys can always shoot me an email at ommencounterreports at outlook.com or you guys can go to the link tree and there is a submission form for that. Uh, I want to try to accompany it all into one place. So don't forget to share your encounters as big or as small as they might be. I still want to hear them. I want to be able to collect it all and maybe even bounce some ideas back and forth with you and possibly even get out and investigate it depending on how close you guys are to my location. And uh, if you guys want to get a hold of me for any other reason whatsoever, you guys can get a hold of me at inquiries of our reality podcast at outlook.com or you guys can shoot me a message across social media. I am the most active on Instagram, but you guys are more than welcome to message me on Facebook also. I do regularly check that, of course, too. And uh, everything that I mentioned is all available off of the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation, and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. credit card bill.